Welcome to the Forest Trees Podcast. Welcome back. It's been a while. It's good to see you. I'm Tori. I can't see you. Uh, I'm AJ <laughs> and I can't see you. Don't don't freak out, please. I, I don't know where you are, what you're doing. Um, AJ's not Santa Claus, don't worry. No. No, 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 no. I have not that power. We're recording this episode on our porch for a more casual feel uh, because we just want to sit down with you recap the year and talk about the things that we've been um really obsessed into over into the hall uh yeah into the holidays and our recommendations for the year so let's get into our 2023 recap how was your year <laughs> the year has been full of bullshit <laughs> um but also full of things to be grateful for it's it's been such a mashup i think that's been my challenge this year is to find the morsels of good in the um, bullshit, as you so eloquently put it, mm-hmm. um, throughout the year. For me, honestly, this channel and this podcast has been a huge bright spot for me mm-hmm. and a great place for me to channel um, energy and um, just like making connections, like the, just the friends and the people that we've met this past year like through forestry yeah has really been some of the highlights for me yeah it's really nice i i want to say a quick word to our mutuals on tiktok and we love you we, we love you um for real and really it's become just such an enriching part of my life to like have what little interaction that we have and it feels so kind and so genuine and i feel like we thank you to everyone who sends us yeah like funny like even like off topic just funny videos yeah. and memes um i think someone did it once and they were like oh sorry i meant that for someone else i was like please don't be sorry this was great <laughs> Hi- hilarious great way to start the morning usually um, if you guys think it's funny we do too so <laughs> yeah absolutely um so yeah i think that you know those little bits and pieces of um human interaction brought to us over the vast space space that is space and time continuum that is the internet have been a real blessing a real pick-me-up just to know that there are people who share our interests there are people who um you know care about the same things that we care about and it's been nice it's been awfully nice i think someone to share hyperfixations with and those little rabbit holes that you, we go down. It's, it's very nice. encouraging. Yeah. So thank you for. So thanks, first of all, thanks thank for you. thinking of us. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Anytime, anytime you think of us and send us a funny video or a link or a suggestion or tag um, us in a video. Right. We feel so. We love it. So enriched. <laughs> <laughs> um, Until we've been working on trying to enrich our dog. Yes. Oh <laughs> gosh. Yes, I've been getting him. Um, well, I haven't been getting him, but the he gets he gets the bark box um, from from his which, grandparents, which we recently learned through a friend is apparently lesbian owned. Or was originally or created was by originally lesbian. created at least. Uh, yeah, I don't want to. Wild. I think she might have sold it, but isn't that wild? But Finny's are getting a lot of enriching toys. Yeah, so he gets enrichment toys from them, and he does not get them usually. It's enrichment's like preschool. It's what you make it. It's what you make it. Preschool is what you make it. <laughs> the foundational years of child development. They're really what you make them. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. All right, moving on to our primary hyperfixation of early 2023. Mm. Barbara. Barbara Ann. 
Barbie. Oh my gosh. Barbara. Pr wait, what? Barbara Millicent. Barbara Millicent. What's her full name? God, I know this. I can't remember it. Um, Barbara Millicent Roberts. It's Roberts. So let's talk about Barbara Millicent Roberts for a moment. Oh my goodness, I have feelings about Barbie. I, I never thought that I would care this I much. I never, I really, let, let me, let me be very clear and like a little, just a little preview. That's the sound bite. I never thought that, that I would care this much. much. No, let me be a hundred percent clear with you because I, when, when I started like delving into Barbie, cause I have been, uh, and I'll bring this up a little bit later, but I've been doing some reading in preparation. Uh, for the film, cultural impact, cultural perception of Barbie. Like Barbie the brand. Bar yeah, Mattel, <clears throat> the company, yes. like background on Mattel, um, all in preparation for an episode that I wish to release next year, but... This year! <laughs> oh! <laughs> it's 2024! I think it back, maybe AJ is Santa. <laughs> Why? You were like, oh, 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 yeah. Doing all of that, yeah, doing all of that research into Barbie, I was like delving deep inside myself for my like personal connection to Barbie, like what was playing Barbies to me growing up. And all I could summon, the most concrete thing I could summon as a memory was like the feeling and sensation of having a Barbie shoe in my mouth. Right, like the texture. Kind oh, of like Polly Pocket style. Heaven. Yeah. Heaven mm -hmm. for an undiagnosed autistic um not that we're endorsing chewing do not chew on barbie's that shoes. is not safe that's not safe you will i don't know good choke nobody knew i was die. doing this nobody do yeah nobody knew i was doing this or they would have been like hard no or um they were like hard no and that's why it's such a um euphoric memory for me no, yeah. like <laughs> forbidden fruit chewing shoe. on barbie shoes yeah um it's just right man it's just right. Well, that's the thing about Barbie, I think, is, and they touched on this some in the press cycle, that a lot of people, no matter what it is, because Barbie has become so widespread throughout culture, mm -hmm. at this point, most people have so dominant, some- Dominant of the doll so industry. dominant in the doll industry. There's some initial visceral memory or reaction we have when we think about it, whether it's chewing on the- shoes or you know cutting my barbie's hair or doing this or doing that or you know everyone has usually some or i didn't like barbies at all and all my other friends did and i felt weird about that mm -hmm. you know even if it's not i have the dolls yeah. it's it was it, the dolls were so prevalent in culture that you almost were forced to have an opinion on them yeah absolutely i yes and uh in the book that I was reading to prepare for said episode and that I'm still working my way through, there's a lot of discussion of that, of the fact that, and in, in some of the essays I was reading too, just a lot of discussion of the fact that it's such a ubiquitous cultural touch point, mm -hmm. um, that that's really the fascination for me. Absolutely. I have a lot of feelings of, about how the marketing of this movie kind of coincided with the SAG strike. Oh yeah. And one of my things is something that I've talked about a lot in videos leading up to the release of the film mm -hmm. was, you know, maybe Kate McKinnon would say something in an interview or like there would be something that was kind of hinted at. 
And I think that there was a lot, there was a lot of uh, gay hinting in the early interviews as far as, and I, we, all, we always were like, well, we don't really know where this is going to go. Like mm -hmm. it could just, like I feel like in the videos, you'd be like, well, you know, we'll have to wait until the movie comes out, but you know, it could be something, could be not. And I feel like the movie kind of tried to make it seemed like it was something that it was not in the film cycle yeah. or in, in the press cycle. Yeah. And I hold space for the fact that maybe they were trying to tell a larger story and it cut, got cut off because of the SAG. Yeah. Because it did seem like this, the interviews were changing from the beginning of the cycle to the very end as far as how they were discussing Ken. And yeah, I think it, I got the vibe with some of the later interviews, also, uh, also like ones that have come out since the strike is up, like, mm -hmm. post-release, talking yes. about, like, trying to hype the, uh, like, the streaming release. I get the sense that a couple of people in the cast maybe didn't expect the final cut of the movie that they got. I don't know yes. to the extent which that can happen in, like, when you're making a movie. I'll tell you two people whose faces I feel like I saw it on. Issa and Kate. Issa and Kate, yeah. Issa Rae and Kate McKinnon, um, based on the way they were speaking about the movie and their characters. in the interviews yeah. prior to when they were in the really colorful, like, premiere mm -hmm. promo box rooms. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I will make this general assertion. It did seem a bit like they had hauled out diversity for the press cycle that was not amply represented in, film time. in on airtime in the film, right? In the final cut. That is my personal opinion. You had a positive, queer-affirming experience with the Barbie movie. I'm not here to underwrite that. Absolutely not. Or if you had a positive experience as a member of any inter intersectional, um, you know, intersection of diversity. You felt represented, felt seen, heard by the Barbie movie. I'm not here to underwrite that. Absolutely. And honestly, I would be really interested for you to uh, jump into our DMs and tell us what your experience, what your experience with that was. Because for me, I, and this is my uh, probably very unpopular opinion, but I feel like if the SAG strike had not still been going on during the premiere and release first couple release weeks of Barbie and so many of the content creators that had been hyping it had not been able to really say anything one way or the other on their channels yeah it might have gone a little bit differently I'll just I'll say that because the movie that we were hyped was slightly different than the movie we were presented it was it was it was campy it was fun it was very bright um I'm not sure. And beautiful. And beautiful. beautiful. Goodness, the craftsmanship. And it was funny and it was fun. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. I had a great time. It was a fun watch. We went to go see it in, in theaters. And I just, I got little blips of things, gold, nuggets of beautiful gold between certain characters or insight into certain things that we just kind of left. And I felt that if we had pulled at certain strings instead of others, yeah. we could have told a slightly more intentional, intense story. 
Yeah, I get it. This is a very vague yeah, armchair critique. expert thing to say. So, you know, throw apples at me if it's you a, want. It's a big <laughs> critique, but I'll, I'll give it to you. Like It makes sense in my head, but I, I'm imagining certain things. Like, I'm imagining um, Issa Rae's character. I wanted to know more about President Barbie. I wanted to know I see what more you're about Barbie's experience in the world more than her just thinking an old woman's pretty. Like we I think that there is validity in what you're saying in that the movie provided us in, and with so many um, strings, so many, like I get what you mean about the, the lines of connection, like going, you get like- There's a lot of you, three you lines walk, you could have you walk, Right, yeah, you walk a path with this character for a moment, mm -hmm. you start to see what their world is, and then it's just enough to intrigue you and you don't get a follow-up on it necessarily. It's um, what occurred to me while watching the movie was that this does set up a set up a cinematic universe well because we do care like you're teasing us with these characters, the side characters, um, mm -hmm. and you're teasing us with information about them and about their circumstances in their lives, um, so that it would be like it would be perfectly it, it would make perfect sense to get a, a weird Barbie spinoff, a President Barbie spinoff. A Ken spin, a Ken spinoff. You know, like you could really dive into each of those. You know, a mm -hmm. Dr. Barbie spinoff. Their different origin like, stories. Like I think they did a really good job of creating a really cinematic universe if they wanted characters. to. Now I'm interested to see where that goes because when I was told about the Mattel cinematic universe, I assumed that they would build on Barbie. Uh, but now it they're making a Polly Pocket movie. That I yeah. and all I can think about is chewing, mm -hmm. chewing on stuff. So let's pivot from Barbie yes. to talking about um, something that is very related, the, the SAG after strike yeah. and the WGA strike, which we, we talked about both those things in our second episode of this year. I am generally waiting, like my, my status on the deal as it is, is like, I'm waiting to see what this actually spins out to. <clears throat> I think that with what information we are, we've been given, it's not, it's not altogether encouraging, especially on the, um, artificial intelligence front. No, it really isn't, but it's one of those things, it's already been voted through, and yeah. <clears throat> I think that it's, we'll just have to wait and see. Right, how this affects the, uh, yeah, the effects mm -hmm. of and writers, actors, and the final content. Well, hi there. Welcome back. Welcome back to AJ and Tori's shiny New Year special. Uh, we left off talking about the SAG uh, aftermath of the SAG after a strike. And uh, the next topic that we really moved on to in our outline. Um, Sorry. You've broken the illusion. <laughs> You've told them there's an outline. There's not an outline. We're just talking. I didn't post a We're video of the outline. We're just chatting. We're just chatting. We're just chatting here. Shooting the breeze. Shooting the breeze. We don't need outlines. We're neurotypicals damn it <laughs> i don't know no yeah the next topic on the outline basically is old hollywood and um some of our like fun retrospectives on that 
yeah, we started diving into it and I kind of just it very quickly became a, a new hyperfixation of mine. I, I felt like every rabbit hole got a little bit deeper. You've always, I think you've, you've gotten a lot of a, a kicks out of watching public relations. I think that you can I do. potentially point to like a, um, I get a media, kick out of media culture analysis career for you. Old PR headlines from old Hollywood actors reading interviews from like these like actresses, old managers. It's seeing if things seem drastically different from the headlines we're seeing today or what we're here being told today about people. Yeah. Or if there's very similar storylines that are kind of have worked before and so we're repeating them in the PR machine, like if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I just kind of, I've always found it fascinating from a research perspective to try to get to the, the root of it. When we started talking about things that were happening at the sort of dawn of Hollywood PR, and even if we were to go further back, and I think we should in future episodes, and talk about the evolution of the idea of celebrity, it's easy, I think, to feel sometimes like we are in a very extreme time yeah. in history when it comes to aggrandizing, glorifying, and cementing the impact of individual humans. And that's yeah. what it is, I think, for me, is it's it's almost kind of... It's what happens to a person when they have to subdivide themselves into a public persona and a private persona, right? Yeah, um, Al Alan Asimova is someone that I'm researching right now, which is interesting because she started off as a stage actress and moved to screen, but she there's lots of letters of her talking back and forth with like her sister and um, women she's worked with and been speculated to have um, had relationships with, talking about that balance even back then in sort of feeling of the loss of self in mm. celebrity culture, yeah. which to me was so poignant because this is like a world before social media. This is just purely from like headlines and just the studio pressures and like public perception of her. Even an earlier actress, Maude Adams, who also happened to be one of us, mm -hmm. she talks about how her childhood on being on the stage, like as a stage actress, gave her just a, a kind of a weak sense of self in that way. I saw a Kaz Rowie video, very in-depth, excellent Kaz Rowie video on her, and that, that made me think of that as well. I think there's, for us, this like very keen interest in the boundaries, what I'm going to call the boundaries of performance, and I think that's why we gravitated to that subject matter. For now, Let's move on to talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, but a little bit sad. We went pretty much dark for three months at the end of this year after... Um, not on TikTok. No, not on TikTok. But on podcast. Yeah, the podcast was not uh, pumping out episodes. We lost a cat and we are not okay about it combination with like a lot of things with the holidays and yeah researches and rewrites and things that I wanted to change about episodes that kind of delayed certain ones getting yeah. out all for the best I think in the end but we really needed that that kind of rest and I think we definitely I think Bubs I'd, I'd had since I for like 15 years mm -hmm. and he was my grandmother's cat's cat originally Since and he was just a kitten yeah. i think gave us permission to be a little bit softer with ourselves mm -hmm. in terms of output expectations through the end of the year yeah. to really set ourselves up for a solid 
start in 2024. I agree with that. I think that we have needed all of that time, I think, to gain perspective on everything that we wanted to cover. Some of it was kind of backed up by the strike, obviously. Sure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to pushing on and uh, bringing back some of those ideas that we've been fostering throughout the year. It's also, I've wanted to really be thorough, as thorough as possible in my research and yeah, absolutely. That's given, we've, we've been given a lot of time and a lot of time to find out what piques our interest. So thank you for giving us that time. Yes, absolutely. And first, since we didn't do any particular like holiday special or holiday episodes this year, I did want to talk a little bit about the media we've been consuming over the holidays, what our, our holidays have been like, and feel free to reach out to us and let us know how, how are your holidays going? Yeah. What holidays do you celebrate? How do you celebrate them? I don't take for granted that everyone celebrates. Is there something that you like? Yeah. Just like holiday traditions and stuff. My family gambles after Thanksgiving. Like (laughs) they do. We do. They take it very seriously. We take it extremely seriously. So I, you know, weird family traditions. I'm here to hear about them. I was on a quest for chosen family traditions. Yeah, absolutely. I was on a quest this holiday season to watch every single horny gay holiday movie I could get my my little little hands on. Hallmark is an ally to the LGBTQ community. I would I don't know if I would go can as a corporation Can ever a corporation ever be, be an, an ally? ally? I don't think so. So I'm going to say no, but I will say that I found the movies really heartwarming and I did laugh out loud a few times at at them. Whether it was like them attempting to make an in-joke and it didn't land or them making a joke and it did land, like either way it's kind of fun for me but I realized that all of, because like Hallmark movies are kind of corny and I realized this year that they're like I don't know 70% less corny if you like are able to get it like you, you know what i mean like if you're oh so you had just been sitting out here watching like um hetero romantic and heterosexual hallmark movies and like looking at them like in, in a kind of like a vague curiosity slash fascinating why are these people behaving so strangely what's going on that that is generally the experience what i had with movies in general with any sort of romantic plot um, so, so I, I feel you right. And then I watched one about a lesbian lawyer who falls in love with a lesbian photographer in New York, and I was like, "Yeah, I get it. <laughs> it makes sense, right?" I, I, they would fall love. in love in a week. Yeah. yeah okay. In love, I also, and I'm just gonna say the lesbian, the the stereotypical lesbian timeline fits these movie timelines so well that I don't know why we're not doing more of them. <laughs> like, there's. Like, because usually these movies are like, oh, I came home from the city for the weekend to help with the Christmas festival, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to change my life and fall in love in a weekend. And, like, usually we're like, oh, yes, the magic of Christmas. But that's sometimes just, like, July, you know? Suppose it's just the magic of lesbians. Maybe it's really the magic of lesbians that we've been looking for. Not to feed in too deeply to that stereotype, but I (laughs) I suppose that the Hallmark people are just getting their oats, that there is... A demographic they can market to who realistically would uh, turn their lives around for a person in a week.
I'm like, it's corny, but it's 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 a feel good movie, and every I I deserve it. We deserve a feel good movie every right. night. What about you? What about you watching this year? <laughs> so I've been. <laughs> Tell the people what you've been watching no, this holiday I don't season. Want to. Every adaptation of a Christmas Carol ever every, made. Every, every adaptation. Every one, not everyone actually. I'm trying to. But seek, that was the goal. I'm trying to seek out the weirdest and the seemingly, in my opinion, gayest. Come up with a handful of good ones, of which are musical adaptations. <laughs> Oh. Also, I'll put the names of the movies that I'm talking vaguely about in the description wherever you're listening to the podcast. Yeah. So you can actually look at what we're talking about. I, I didn't come at you with names and I apologize. For me, my top picks are obviously The Muppet One uh, since Gonzo and Rizzo Kiss on the Mouth. Yes, The Muppet Christmas Carol. In such a tender, strange moment. Also, God Save My Broken Little Body is such a relatable moment. <laughs> H-E-D-S representation. <laughs> I forgot about that line. And then I'm a millennial, so I think that everything, uh, there should be an award for everything. An award for best physical comedy to A Christmas Carol Books. Wrong. Oh, so um, good. Short, short watch, too. Yeah. Most definitely neurodivergent and weirdest Scrooge goes to Scrooge, mm-hmm. uh, the 1970 movie musical adaptation. Um, also a pretty gay one. Yeah, okay, that one reads different. Now, they did get Alec Guinness, who is a... <sighs> what do you call oh. it when someone's sexuality is way too hotly debated? He was, he's a deba- do you want me to answer that in this, in this, in this climate? Because <laughs> I could give you a few words. <laughs> What is it? What do you call it? What do you call it when there's just way too much, too much anger about whether one this person is one thing or too another. much egg dog? That because I've come to see those situations as being somewhat queer in themselves, or at least like moments of queer history. Like if you can't say that person definitively was gay, I really don't care because if there's so much argument over it you can you can come hang out it's it's at at one point or another this person's going through it so well it became relevant a little while ago (laughs) i'm sorry i need again play the star wars theme again there was a work within the star wars universe that suggested that obi-wan kenobi could have been bisexual Mm -hmm. and i can see it the the hair there was anecdotal evidence for Alec Guinness the actor who originally played Obi-Wan Kenobi for having been bisexual for people took the fandom took sides on this and cared a lot about the outcome depending on whether they were you know homophobes gave themselves or just wanted to hear everyone's stuff screaming about it so it's oh, the three the three emotions yeah the three emotions <laughs> So that's the that's the that on that that's the story on that. Yeah. Well, regardless of whether Alec Guinness is actually bisexual or gay or whatever, that's what I'm saying. He played that role. He played Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley in such a way that gave the... new resonance to the line in life. I was your partner. I'll tell you um, that. Yeah. But why? Like, honestly, why am I so into a Christmas Carol? Um, let's unpack that let's unpack that i think it comes down to a couple of things first off i don't like holidays 
genuinely like I I've conditioned myself over the course of my life to like holidays enough it always like honestly stressed me out the change in routine was is can be weird sometimes and like often I would have like stress about not being productive I grew up like a, just such a perfectionist I think and like very I know you can't read that off of me at all by the fact that earlier I shamed you for revealing to people that we had an outline <laughs> uh, because I expected them to think that everything I was saying was completely extemporaneous. Yeah, yeah. I know you can't tell at all that I was ever a perfectionist, but I think it, it it's not in that capitalistic sense of I want to accrue and hoard wealth that I empathize with Scrooge, but it's in the sense of like Christmas stresses me out and I wish everyone would stop talking about it. Um, so mm. I do get that. And I always can, I, I, I always did like the Grinch. I always was like uh, feeling, you know, feeling my Grinchy oats at Christmas time, but his heart literally grew three sizes. And so that's an anatomical bodily change that's going to last him the rest of his life, apparently, oh. mm -hmm. um, one would think. And I think that also the other movie that you showed me that kind of opened up this perspective on it to me, the idea that like Scrooge's change, it's not... Scrooge's you, transformation. His transformation, whatever, his his change of behavior, whatever, is not uh, generally believable. Like, that it would happen all in one night. Some people come close to selling that. But I think what your, um, the movie that you showed me called Spirited with Ryan Reynolds. And Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell, which is also a play on A Christmas Carol and was what got me into this whole spin. Yeah really opened up the perspective of change as like a daily choice and and a daily effort to be just like a little bit better than you were the day before and and more incremental and less radical less like radical and kind of unattainable mm -hmm. so we know that the next day scrooge makes efforts to like do better right but we don't we're not privy to the rest of his process There's a Scrooge, Scrooge for all occasions. So that, that's been fun for me. And that's probably something that I'm going to continue to pursue over the holidays. Honestly, I dare say that like... We still need to watch Scrooge and Marley. Yeah. So there is an actual adaptation in which Scrooge and Marley in universe date. Um, and it's a recent uh, adaptation. It's like 2018 or something. Yeah, it's an indie. I think it's an indie. And, and I was really uh, excited to see that. But we didn't quite have time for the most overtly gay one this year um i guess i'm just in too in love with subtext to take it over the head we were working our way through i think we were working our way up in time mm -hmm. yeah as to like the more recent ones oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's a bit of a chronological yeah. system that we were following mm -hmm. it was yeah vintage first mm -hmm. so uh that's that and then another thing that we got into really heavily oh before we get off a of christmas carol um, I want to correct a misconception that I may have fueled myself. Uh, dun, 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 dun. I'm spreading misinformation. I'm evil. Misinformation. You guys, shame dance. Shame dance. Um, yeah. Oh, misinformation is like one of my worst, like spreading misinformation is one of my worst fears, but I also Guys, know... watch this be the most innocu innocuous thing that's like not even misinformation. Sorry. Uh, maybe it oh, is. Oh, it's very important. I'm sure it's it is. It's highly important. I'm sure it is. Go ahead. To the entire queer reading of A Christmas Carol. Okay. It's so vital. 
that you guys know that um, Rizzo does not kiss Gonzo on the mouth. <laughs> but what I did will, I freaking say? <laughs> but I will argue that kissing him, he kisses him on the nose, which I will make an argument is somehow even more tender more tender and delicious <laughs> like a steak <laughs> like a steak it's a delicious moment because it's not the kiss that's really that that really speaks volumes it's the it's the silence before and after the kiss where they just stare into each other's eyes i think one of them said something silly and the other one just stares at them and it's literally something that Tori and I do would do to each other. It's just like stares at him and then gives him a little kiss on the nose. You're like, you're a cute little weirdo. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm not gonna dignify that with a response, but aren't you cute? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which sounds terrible. Uh, but, but it's like when you if you knew how silly we got we were. Yeah. Um, you get it. Sometimes you gotta be real silly. Yeah. They have no idea how silly we are. We're we're a hundred percent serious all the time on the podcast never 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 a joke yeah she'll pass my lips but i didn't want to i didn't want to make it through the episode without letting you guys know that it's a nose kiss um but still very sweet still very sweet so yeah what else have we been into this holiday season the rank and bass specials from like the 60s 70s 80s yeah we've been we kind of we went through most of them yeah, a lot of them. Um, Not and all of some them. that I've really never heard of before. I want to say that, like, probably the best and weirdest ones. I grew and, up on them, so this was huge for me. Yeah, yeah. You watched a lot more. I watched the basics growing up. Yeah. I watched um, also the not very religious ones, like um, like the ones that weren't, like, about, like, biblical canon. I was more exposed to, like, uh, Rudolph. And Little Drummer Boy is historically Santa. very biblical. Yeah, canon. I, I never saw Little Drummer Boy. I never saw the one about donkey. Uh, Little Nestor. It's an adorable the long-eared name. donkey. It's an adorable no name. No one wants to be her friend because she trips over her ears. Oh no! Well, that okay. Can we talk about how that is a lot more practical reason to ridicule right? a child that are their shiny red nose? Because we'll get well, to that. There's not a really ever a good reason to ridicule a child for a feature, but for a feature, no. But like if she trips over her. Your, her there is ears, a safety concern. You might have some difficulty not laughing at that. That's all. Maybe I'm betraying it myself. Is like, a cruel I'm person, just saying it would be but... funny. <laughs> it's just like, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's really funny when the donkey falls down. Okay, but let's do a little cross textual analysis here because, from the perspective of like valid concerns. Sure. I do not understand. So, like, if your if your ears are long enough that it is hindering your walking, that's an issue that might need to be addressed. I'm not saying that's a shameful thing no, about you. It shouldn't be shamed. But there's some practical inconvenience. Sure, there's it. some practical reasons that you might want to come right. up with solutions to that. Right. And you know, society fears what it can't necessarily control, and people who are different, and like, yes, okay, so I get it. Why people might have a negative connotation around a long-eared donkey tripping on her ears, because that's like, that's, that's gonna her. hinder her in being a donkey, and that sucks. Like, we're, you know, I'm sure there are solutions. That's no reason to ostracize a person, but get it. But a, a nose that lights up is objectively useful and cool and so i never understood never understood why it was ever painted as a negative thing it's such a i'm gonna devil's advocate um 
Rudolph's dad for a second. Okay. Because he brings up only one valid point. And that is that they will not be able to sleep because of the light. Now, my argument, my counter-argument is, you know, ambiance. Like, be grateful. You have a little bit of, like... Mood lighting. Right, you have some mood lighting. It's not, like, aggressive. It's, He's like, I have the Rudolph a- the fluorescent... It's white a, nose like that would be very unpleasant yeah. like bright fluorescent light bright nose right now it's like I, a red muted light like i don't but i'm just saying you could be concerned about not getting sleep because yeah there's no lights off if you're someone who needs complete darkness to sleep. sure i get it but it only does that occasionally and probably not while he's sleeping usually because, when he's excited because actually if you go further back into rankin bass lore or forward in time to rudolph uh, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, which is a hot mess. So ridiculous. Involving Ethel Merman. Ethel um, Merman. I love a hot mess involving Ethel Merman. Are you kidding me? I had a great time, but <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Nor uh, would I watch it again, probably. It's too but long. It's too, too long. too long. It's like they tried to stretch one of these things out as long as they possibly could. They're like, what if we made a feature? And Yeah, and I commend them for that, but yeah. uh, it, was, it was a lot of unnecessary songs. Anyway... The um, the lore in that, though, is one of the things I did like about it is it gives background lore um, to the rest of, so to a lot of the other movies. And the background lore of that is that Rudolph only, um, that only happens when he thinks like happy thoughts, like Peter Pan flying. He was like gifted it by the Aurora Borealis goddess. goddess. Yes. And that it only activates when he's like thinking like happy thoughts. Or whatever so but she told him this when he was like a minute old and i don't think oh and he fully understood she too. stayed to like make sure he understood but in the original he, he speaks when he's a minute old so maybe he's just a prodigy honestly yeah. like but <laughs> he um he like it, I, I don't know maybe it activates if he's having good dreams and that's an issue um sure but like dreams actually are only like a fragmentary portion of our sleep time so it it just all i'm saying is it shouldn't be an issue at night um and it's practical and i cannot believe that it took until crisis point in that movie for them to realize hey the kid with the shiny red nose could assist us invisibility and in, in flying visibility. they never thought about the need for headlights before never, that moment never never had it been foggy-ish on christmas eve never and Santa had thought to himself i really wish that i could attach a light to a reindeer so we can see i want the outtakes of him trying to do that to like prancer and it not going well yeah, at yeah, all yeah. and he's like we tried that and fully like 34 and it yeah. didn't go well so we're not and doing then, it again and then there is born his personal messiah a reindeer with a light on its nose <laughs> and what and does he do he's like that that kid will never bully make him team. yeah what does he do bully rudolph which is because santa's a meanie in this special oh yeah so my feelings on rudolph and we did make a video about how romeo muller the screenwriter of rudolph and a couple other rankin fast specials was um rumored to be gay himself i did not say it that way in the video However, on further investigation of the uh, articles that I was seeing after I, I searched, after I did my follow-up research, um, there seems to be vague, like, not vague, but uh, particularly like- Alleginness-esque. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're <laughs> coming back to Alleginness, yeah. Anecdotal evidence, um, and there seemed to have been a time, 
based on the fact and entirely that like basically a lot of the citations or sources that i found for it were opinion articles stating it as a fact like stating it as a well-known fact almost that you wouldn't need to reference anything for and that's not now i'm not saying that that makes me believe that it's a fact but it is interesting because some of the people saying that would it would have been um coming up around the same time that he was right yeah it was a yes i looked back and which is always important to me when people are saying things I'm right like, were you possibly the first, in similar circles the first sort of article that um i came across which was a, a personal blog article of someone who is a film aficionado film buff um so i'm taking it with a huge chunk of salt obviously no salt lamp but it was somebody who would have lived at the time potentially when these specials were coming out and so i just wonder in terms of like we don't have documentation documentation we don't have documentation (laughs) of people whose sexuality was a quote-unquote like open secret at the time because the point of an open secret is that there is no documentation there is no saying it out loud there is no saying it in in an interview writing it down um, it's just something that is kind of known or suggested, and I'm not saying that this person would have, by virtue of living at the time, have known him well enough, but it's possible that he, by virtue of being a film buff and wanting to know things about these specials and films that, like, were not commonly known, that he would have figured that out, um, at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving, I'm giving space for it, um, but it is, you know, so take it, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but know that there appears to be like, if anything, anecdotal evidence and a suggestion of some sort of like open secret. He definitely um, never married and never had kids, which one could argue in the 1960s was a way to live queer, if not out, um, by sure. virtue of being outside the expected norm um the yeah the heteronormative expectation mm-hmm. yeah nowadays i mean like i don't know if that's necessarily true but i feel like nowadays that um lots of people put off marriage or don't get married or get married it, later it's a, it's not as monogamy is not as ubiquitous as it once was possibly um like marital mm-hmm. monogamy marriage itself is maybe less mandatory seeming but i think back in the 60s it definitely would have been looked on as odd or queer in the sense of unusual yeah i agree and i personally really enjoyed um kind of revisiting the rankin bass specials now i can't remember did romeo muller write jack frost yeah it would be great to know if you did. And in fact, let me pause to Google that because it's very important and the iPad is dying. We're going to wrap things up with some book and media recommendations from yeah. the year. Um, I have started reading two books this year. 
I have not finished either of them, but I have. That's because you have been reading them so thoroughly because you want to know if you can recommend them or not. Yes, I have been trying to vet them very thoroughly. I can say uh, that about the first quarter of Barlow's Queer so Accessories by Eric Moranz is a great read, and the first, like, third of Directed by Dorothy Arzner. So if anything gets wacky towards the end when you get to it, let us know. Let us know. We're working our way there. I'm working my way through it myself. But so far, they seem very, very, very fun. Very fun. And there hasn't been any issues. Yeah, Barbie's Queer Accessories is essentially a documentation of, like, the first part is a documentation of all of the basically, like, creative media decisions made on behalf of Mattel. Not all of them, obviously, but a great many of them in the context of queer scholarship, queer history, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, from an intersectional perspective as well. So there are discussions of what Barbie's perceived race is or ethnicity, like what her, uh, what messaging, you know, that sends. that sends and like, not just in, and also characters within the Barbie universe as well. For sure. Th- it, it's a great overview. And then I think the second part gets more into detail about um, individual queer individuals like experiences with Barbie and anecdotal research in into Barbie's cultural impact. Yeah. So if you are interested in the cultural impact of Barbie, if the Barbie movie got you asking a lot of questions and thinking a lot of thoughts, I think this would be a good read. And Erica Rand is just a, a fascinating individual um when it comes to interpreting cultural signs and symbols that people wouldn't necessarily uh usually think to look at like advertising and really looking at from what i've read of the book as well erica mm-hmm. rand does this a really good job of looking at the full scope of impact uh and then also kind of getting into the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. yeah it is a and like kind of giving you that through line to hang on to of what why we're talking about what we're talking about still yeah it's, it's a relatively dense read which explains why i'm about a quarter of the way through um but it also has its like very fun moments yeah. and i i kid you not we really found ourselves laughing out loud to this book a couple of times yeah gender studies is always a, a rollicking good time i mean <laughs> not to lie but there's usually a giggle here yeah. or there and i respect that mm-hmm. Um, and so I enjoy her style yeah. uh, when it comes to just kind of academic texts are like, I like my academics with a little spice and I think she provides that. Mm-hmm. She does use uh, the D slur in a reclamatory or reclaimed sense in her writing mm-hmm. a, a fair amount. If that's something that you're sensitive to, you might want to steer away from this read if you find that uh, personally or particularly triggering. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the only thing I can think of right now that might preclude anyone from wanting to read it. And then the other one is directed by Dorothy Arzner by Judith Maine, which I started reading when we set a resolution in the new year to do a full-length episode on Dorothy Arzner and her films. And it's really in-depth. There's the, you know, discussion of Dorothy's privilege as yeah. well as her mm-hmm. uh, disadvantages or her sort of issues in the industry things that worked in her advantage and things that also were you know obviously obstacles that she had to overcome mm-hmm. due to the obstacles that's the word i was looking yeah. for yeah and yeah uh so i think that that's really nice and it leaves space for those things to be ambiguous as well it leaves space for ambiguity ambiguity and interpretation which is nice 
but highly recommend it if you're interested in old Hollywood, if you've enjoyed some of the old Hollywood content that we've been putting out lately. Highly recommend that one. Yes. So what are some of your fiction recommendations for this year? Okay, so one of them I actually read a few years ago, but I've been reading it sporadically this year as well. It's called We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, and we'll have this in the description as well. But it's a really good, yeah, it's a really good book for, it describes the feelings of like loneliness and grief and love and heartache in a very um soft kind of poetic way yeah you told me earlier it's a very like uh immersive and cozy book for people who are not necessarily in a good place right if you're going through it it's a very kind of like cozy hug that's like hey it's okay well, so yeah. some other we're all kind of going through it, you know, in our way, but we'll we'll be okay. Yeah, the title is it's in itself is that. Yeah, I think that's very important. I think that like it's really nice to recommend uplifting media, obviously, um, but it's really good to also like because it's so easy when you do feel bad to fall into um, a toxic narrative or a a narrative that's restricting you when you do feel bad it's nice too that there are works out there that kind of like put suffering in a perspective in that way so that like you don't you you can process it through reading or can like contacting contact with the art um but you don't feel necessarily like uh encouraged to stay there by it right Exactly. It always brings you to this. Yeah, the book itself is, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it does, you know, show a, you know, linear story, but it goes back in time and kind of shows when certain things happened. And most of it is the writing style is so, it's very pulled in. So you're looking at the, the tiny moments of this person's life and kind of learning to like being present with them in the kind of like beauty in the mundane yes it's giving walden it's yeah yeah a year in the woods very nice and uh any other recommendations for this year well again i didn't read it this year but but, um aristotle and dante discover the secrets of the universe is actually topical this year is topical this year i i read it over back um, but it's so, it's uh, received the Stonewall Book Award. Um, it's received a lot of awards. It is being made into, I believe, a a ser- mini series or a a film this year. It's kind of like that, like friends to you know, maybe something else. What's happening? You know, friends to maybe something else. What's happening? Yeah, and <laughs> absolutely, I think yeah. It's, it's queer, right? Yes. Well, I think that's really nice. I think a lot of people like to go back, especially like queer people. Like, you know, not all of us were out in high school. We Are Okay is gay as well. I need to... Oh, yes. Both these of are these both... books are, are gay. One is about two um, gay guys and one is about lesbians. What I was saying is I think that not all of us were out in high school. 
right? Yeah. Um, I came out at 18, so I didn't get the gay high school experience. Um, and I think a lot of us like to consume media about, um, like, young adult, like, that young adult fiction, queer young adult fiction kind of, like, fills like this. Like, Heartstopper, like, that sort of... Fills this hole, mm-hmm. I think, for people who weren't out in, in middle or high school and, and, like, are vicariously kind of navigating what that would be like through these sure. series. Um it's something that um, we've talked about on the channel a little bit as well. This particular like generation of queer musicians are hearkening back to the early 2000s, I think in a in an effort to kind of recapture our childhoods and reimagine reclaim our, that youth, our youth in a little way. Yeah, reclaim youth um, and say, you know, these, these things were always within us, but they, they were unexpressed and part of processing that I think is trying to imagine for yourself like what that would have been like um and if it would have like it's one of those things I wonder about like um would coming out any earlier have actually helped me or hindered me um I think of it also like along the terms of my autism diagnosis like would knowing this thing about me have you know it probably would have improved my self-esteem but then again I also would have been subject to more adversity in either in other case right um potentially so like it's a toss-up but i think it's important to it's great to have literature like this that you can yeah. and media that you can it's important to, to re-examine those, those parts of your yeah. life absolutely so thank you for those recommendations yeah. i highly appreciate them and um as far as other recommendations uh like aside from reading we have been obviously very obsessed with um, Chapel Road's debut album, oh, yeah. The Rise and Fall of a Midwest Princess. Um, good Amazing. Stuff. Good stuff. And it was good stuff that we were getting for years in the form of singles. Um, yes. Oh, my goodness. I've like, been... I'm really surprised how much I attached to the album, considering how many of the songs were previously released. I... I was thinking about that because I've had it multiple times, more often than not, when an artist like peppers me with singles for a few years and then gives me an album with those singles on it. I kind of feel like almost bored or like I've already heard half of it or something. And I did not feel that way with the Rise and Fall of Midwest Princess at all. I I think part of it was the order that she chose to put everything in on the album. Yeah, the way I it was, plays in order. I was initially, yeah, I was initially really focused on the play order because a lot of the tracks I had heard before. And I think what is gained there is some context, or rather, I think that as at least as being pre- presented as a unit, like all of these songs together, they are given some relational context with each other. Like I'm now hearing uh similarities yeah, that's between what it is. certain mm-hmm. songs where um like i think guilty pleasure uses the naked in manhattan woo yeah the little yeah the woo i can't physically make that noise <laughs> um but the the an inch away from more than just friends noise yeah that noise, that noise is also in, in guilty, guilty pleasure, pleasure at some point i think so like there's those little tidbits that uh, cross over, carry over. And the new song she gave us was oh, so, so great that I was I was really not underwhelmed at all by the, the quantity of content on the album that had already been released because 
I felt like it was being given first off new context and then additionally the new songs added so much that they elevated again, it so much that the, the other songs gained a richness right like it makes perfect sense for casual you know to be where it is or for California to be where it is yeah it's it's good placement I think yeah, so the track list, it opens with Feminomenon and then rides a high with Red Wine Supernova after midnight and then, like, after midnight kind of chills it a bit and then coffee and then casual hits you with the gut and then we're back up again with super graphic old for modern girl, hot to go. My kink is karma. My kink is karma. Things are taking a sinister turn. And then picture you... Right kaleidoscope. Back, right back down to Kaleidoscope. And then, yeah, Pink Pony Club, Naked in Manhattan, building like building again, California. California. And then, whoa, guilty pleasure out of nowhere. The guilty pleasure out of high note. The guilty pleasure isn't out of nowhere. That's the thing. Is it blends so well with After California? Yeah. Because guilty pleasure is that sort of fake out where it, it starts soft, out. and you feel like we're getting another ballad to end uh-huh. on, and then it like kicks and off. Then the beat comes in. And the light like, comes like, in. <laughs> Yeah. And you don't Love breathe it. till the end. And, yeah. Yeah. We're going to actually like now plug some people that we either kind of like know personally or have met. So one recommendation that I do have is um, a friend of mine from college who makes music. Uh, the name is Glenn. That's G-L-E-N-N two ends key uh it's pronounced like a key you put in a door but it's spelled k-y-e so glenn key if you're into um extremely like lyrically specific and lush folk music that sounds warm and cozy yeah it's very nice rainy day music i would say introspective music knowing glenn i'm thinking that like bonnevere um hosier uh also a a, a gay artist yes oh yeah he's gay (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you about it he's so gay um how gay is he he's so gay (laughs) that we have uh we have a running joke about being married because we did like two scenes to get two romantic scenes together in acting school and so now we have how you know it's real we have a running joke about being married and that's how you know someone's really gay that they joke about marrying another gay person (laughs) um to appear heteronormative yeah Uh, closeting It's the jokes we made. It's joke closeting. We're having a joke on the straight people. We used to go out. Yeah, we used to go out to like the botanical gardens in Brooklyn and like hold hands and and be like, look at us, we're a straight couple. We can take a whole part of the sidewalk. Yeah, we can take up the entire sidewalk, holding hands and walking next to each other. We're a straight couple because it's actually like so fun to have a friend that you don't you don't worry about anything uh, sexual being instigated from any physical contact. Right. It's actually kind of a great thing. Yeah, but if you like Hozier, Bonavere, you'll probably like Glenn. And you'll make a little Mississippi boy very happy. 
And isn't that what it's all? That's what it's all about. All a little about. gay Mississippi boy will be very happy. <laughs> Another artist I wanted to plug was um, a friend of mine from college as well, mm-hmm. Ari. We did a video talking about some of her music last year, but one of her songs, Moonbeam specifically, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with, and it just, it's just a really great song. Um, she also has a line in a song that goes, it's not the Great Depression, but I'm still pretty sad. Yeah. And I just, I just think that's great. I think, I think that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's witty. I think that's neat too. I think, I think yeah. that's, I thought that was That's funny. neat. And then I also was admiring, um, from Moonbeam, because we're star-crossed lovers, we make Romeo and Juliet look lame. Yeah, um, yeah, that that mix of like I'm cultured but extremely irrelevant. <laughs> that it's just such <laughs> a like I paid attention in school, but what good did it do me? <laughs> and yet here we are. And yet here we are. Such it's such a beautiful song, beautiful voice, beautiful yeah. mixing. Honestly, mm. the production on her music is really, really. It's a vibe. Interesting and song. fun to listen to. It's a total vibe. So check her out. Yeah. And then my my uh, final recommendation for music, I think, is someone that I once met on a dating app and haven't spoken to in a very long time. Um, Gayest recommendation yet. Proceed. Yes. Yes. Gold Woman is a, an artist that I have been unable to stop listening to since I met this person and they're very first off i can endorse them generally as a person they're very pleasant to go on a couple of dates with yeah after i left new york because of the pandemic gold woman if you're listening i got a new phone and i lost your number (laughs) (laughs) i actually do want to talk to you like there's not because we listen to the music music a lot still yeah back burner came out uh, a while ago that they don't have any new releases this year but I'm sure they're working on some great, great stuff. And their last release, their last full album is tremendous. And I'm also very fond of um, Big Dogs Have Feelings too. I was thinking that, yeah. Off the new album. Um, in case you're wondering, I do, they did at the time when I knew them have a big dog. Um, so I know that they care very deeply for the feelings of big dogs and it shows in this song. You love to see it. Mm. But it's, it's more than that, it's a metaphor too. It's a, it's a metaphor, I think, for like big personalities as well. Yeah. Um, the life of the party. The life of the party, right? What? Who is the life of the life of the party? Mm. What? <laughs> who gives the Who gives the life of the party life? Right. The dog. The the dog. Yeah. You circled back to the dog. You circled back to the dog. <laughs> so yes, very very good. The other five or twenty. I really like Five or Twenty is a good song. Five or Twenty is great. The whole, yeah, the whole album, highly recommended. So keep a watch, keep an eye on that person. But I got a new phone number, and if you're a gold woman and you want to know it, you can. You can DM us. AJ's really sorry, and they didn't mean to ghost you. <laughs> they were just going through it yeah. on a spiritual yeah. and physical. And I like. In I, mineral level. And I think that person is incredibly interesting and would still like to be friends with them. Okay. If you are sensory seeking, seek out Desire I Want to Turn Into You. Caroline Polachek. By Caroline Polachek. That's an album that also has um, massaged my brain a lot this year. 
Now, if those, if you turn on the album and those sounds aren't for you, that is totally okay. There are lots of different sounds in the world. Sounds in the world, and those are not for everyone. Especially, I want to uh, mention the song "I Believe." Yeah, which is uh, been stated to be written about trans music producer Sophie Sion, who tragically passed away in, I believe, 2021. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful and precious song to me and yeah she really also just does all those things with her voice too i i watched her tiny desk concert recently and it's really interesting because so much of her music is electronically generated but the vocals are really all her her, coming from her pretty raw which if you listen you might think that she has some sort of manipulation going on with her voice especially on some of the like whistle notes or at the, the higher notes but that is just she sounds that way live which I find amazing. She has a terrific like, vocal instrument Yeah. As well. Speaking of massaging our brains, The One That Got Away came out this year, and what a gift. The thing about One That Got Away is that we don't have an album for that yet. That's just dangling. Yeah, Muna happened in, I think, uh-huh. 2021, 2022, and then, and then boom, One That Got Away we got in 2023. Maybe it's that means we're going to get an album in 2024. It's a single with a music video, and it may or may not be teasing an, another moon album but i would just about i would love anything more in that cinematic universe of the one that got away yeah the the one that got away music video excellent sexy exciting the song itself is impossible not to bop to for me it hasn't gotten old for me it's hard in general for a song to get old for me i gotta really wear it out but i've tried to wear this one out and it just won't it's like that pair of Converse that lasts you eight years. This is that uh, song. The bass line on the one that got away is like immortalized in my mind. So there's the the breakdown with the chorus with the clapping and the mm-hmm. si- and the, the breakdown. Like, I'm the one that got away. Yeah. And then they get to, but if you never, and then the bass goes, yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, I, yeah. I really admire the bass line on that song. I admire all of the samples, the sparkly bit at the beginning. You know, it's all so, it, it feels tingly in my brain. My yeah. brain goes, I could talk about it all day. Uh, and then one other single, but not single, comes with comes with album, Snow Queen. A single off of that uh, is Pretty Girls by Renee Rapp. Yeah. That um, I feel like I got into way too late this year. I feel like it's been out for a moment. Everyone was telling us to listen to Renee Rapp. Mm-hmm. And... It took me a sec. Um, I knew I knew of Renee Rapp because of like like through the Broadway sure. world, kind of. Because in college, when Mean Girls was coming out, I was in, in very much immersed in musical theater and like definitely heard the name a lot. And then I was like, oh look at her crossing over into pop music how exciting and yeah and i've like put a mental bookmark to listen to her music and never really did because i didn't realize that um she was single-handed single-handedly queering um the narrative of regina george in the best way yeah in the best way possible um i just like that she put out a song about um, girls being gay when they're drunk and also the unique and like she talks about it's a blessing and it's a curse like it's a, a unique position that you're put in as a gay woman like you are such an exciting novelty 
you know, but you, and you also like, you don't have to worry about if you want, like if that's what you want, you want one night stands with people who don't want to talk to you later or admit that they even If you're going came near through you, your like, yeah, your shame phase, then lean into it. Then it's, yeah, it's a blessing, but it's a curse because also you're never gonna, if you like that person, you're never gonna toughen up, yeah. have a connection with them as long as they're in denial about their sexuality. So it is a fascinating, like, just slice of culture um, mm -hmm. to examine and also just a really boppy song so that and one of your girls I feel like are like similar vibes from different I, I feel like as a queer media podcast like we both have to talk about one of your girls but we also shouldn't talk about it for too long because everybody I'm She's sure talking is talking about girls. it and rightfully so Troy Savon is just so beautiful yeah, I think what we've mm -hmm. learned is Troy Sivan is the most gorgeous person in the world, regardless of what gender they present as. Um, I feel like that whole music video was Troy Sivan being like, look, I am extremely hot, no matter what. So why don't we fight about something? Else? Like, I, I'm just a really beautiful person. And I would like you all to know that. And I appreciate that he got like Ross Lynch over to, you know, show the world how hot she is mm -hmm. yeah regardless of gender i just had a vision where like i was looking at my driver's license and next to gender it said hot <laughs> <laughs> that's what i want actually yeah please. not m or f h for hot um, yeah so i think that's that's all we wanted to discuss in terms yeah. of music recommendations and um it's been a honestly it's been a sad year for um movie recommendations uh, but also as we explained we had a um a rough tail end of the year yeah it's led to me more more so comfort rewatching gilmore girls than delving into new cinematic feats yeah we're not an entertainment news podcast it's not oh that would be exhausting our Thank job God. to stay current necessarily but like we try to discuss things that we feel are topical-ish relevant um, but yeah going forward i think uh, we're gonna I'm so excited to explore new topics we have um, so many fun exciting surprises for you guys we have exciting surprises we have can't wait to share with you yeah guests we've been re potential guests we've been reaching out to um I think that this year is gonna be a great year for the best pod. year yeah let's see how how fast this thing can go you know can't wait to continue to grow and mm -hmm. learn and experience yeah. the world alongside you, AJ, Aww. and alongside everyone else as well. Yeah, that is here. we this appreciate is, you. No, this is gonna be fun. I've enjoyed this so much, and I'm—I know I'm just gonna keep enjoying it. Um, catch you next time, saplings. Catch you next time, saplings. Also, please keep in mind, Tori made me record part of this episode before seven in the morning. Love you. I love you. Please be forgiving with me.